A building, everybody, is as strong as its foundation. We all know that. A laser is as strong as its focus. And a life is as strong as its priorities. Today we want to talk about the clarity that we want. How can we see clearly what the Bible is saying to us? The Bible is telling us that if we want the life that we truly desire, then we've got to have the right priorities. A great life begins with great priorities. And this is what we're going after today. So if I'm going somewhere in my car and I want to go from point A to point B, And there's all these complexities of routes. I could go this way, I could go this way, I could turn here, there, there, okay. None of that really matters if I don't have gas in my tank. I've got to have gas in my tank. You take your phone, all right? I have an iPhone. This thing is really complex. But you can forget all the complexities and all the cool stuff that it can do if it's not charged. Like charging the phone and putting gas in your tank is priority number one. So what is what is the Bible really saying? What is it calling us to do? What are the most important priorities where I can stay focused? Because if I don't stay focused on those priorities, everything's just going to be a mess. I remember many years ago, uh, I worked for, actually, I owned a carpet cleaning company. We did all kinds of specialty cleaning, but one of them was carpet cleaning. And we went to a house one day, and there was a single guy living in this house, and the house was a total wreck. Not only was the carpet a wreck, but everything about the house is filthy dirty. And it was so amusing. So me and my buddy, Russ Geddes, who, uh, who I worked with, um, this guy kept coming to us that owned a house and he had all these cleaning supplies and he knew all these details about what it would do. And it was crazy because he kept coming to us with supply after supplies. You know, you could try this and you could try this. It's like 10, 15 different items that he had just lined up. And finally, my buddy said to him, he says, you know what? What really works? a little elbow grease. He said, those supplies are great, but you actually have to use them. So priority number one, it's great to have all these cleaning supplies, but you actually have to use them, like putting gas in the tank or charging your phone. What's the Bible telling us? Where is the priorities? Because a great life starts with great priorities. Now, I want to discuss something in the last two weeks of this series that has helped me immensely at understanding the Bible, to see what it is really saying. So here's the thing. The Bible is incredible, but it's also, also can be incredibly dangerous or incredibly boring. If I don't understand the Bible, I won't study the Bible. If I don't understand the Bible, I will misinterpret the Bible. I'll twist it. I'll turn it. I'll use it. I'll abuse it. I've got to understand the Bible. It's probably why the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, 7, with all you're getting, get understanding. Or why Jesus says in his famous parable of the soils, it says, it's the soil that understands that has incredible success. So in the last two weeks of this series, the clarity that you want, we've got to understand what are the priorities of the Bible that it keeps coming back to over and over and over again. Because when you do that, The way it's helped me is he just brings it to life. I don't feel like I have to study the Bible. Oh boy, I got to study the Bible. I never feel that way anymore. Man, I want to. I don't feel forced to. I feel like I want to. It's just causing my mind to be excited 
and filled with life because what is in the Bible is full of life and it's making my life better and the lives around me better too. So we want to understand it. We want to deeply understand it. And this is what Jesus is saying. So what is the Bible? The Bible is a revelation of the best information. The Bible is a revelation of the very best information. It's the priorities that we need and we must have in order for us to get what we truly want, to live a great life. So for today, I want to say this. Self-love isn't true love. The Bible is telling us this over and over and over again, that self-love isn't true love. We all start out with self-love, but self-love, it's not true love. That's not where we should end. It's where we all begin, but it's not where we should end. So self-love is where the Bible begins, and self-love is awesome. Self-love feels great. Self-love in many ways is addictive. She's my flesh, Adam said. She's my bones. A lot of times people say, I'm in love. What they're actually saying is, I love myself, and I'm using you. And this is where Adam is. That's where he starts. My flesh possess him. My bones. I want to get with you. I want to become one with you. That's where Adam starts. That's where we start. But it's not where we should end. So let's just go through some of the stories of the Bible, right? So Genesis chapter one is a creation story. Genesis chapter two is another creation story. Genesis chapter three, there's trouble in paradise as a result of self-love. Genesis chapter four, self-love Cain kills his brother Abel. Genesis chapter five, the picture of self-love Lamech takes two wives. One is called Trophy. The other is called Shadow. Neither are happy, but self-loving Lamech works great for him. And then excessive revenge on the part of Lamech. Again, self-love. Genesis chapter six through nine is all about Noah. And then Genesis chapter 11, they keep moving east, 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 away from God till they get to Babylon. It's a picture of moving away from God, going more and deeper and deeper and deeper into self-love and getting more and more and more and more miserable. Then you get to Genesis chapter 12, and you got a bunch of more stories all about Abraham and Sarah. And it starts with self-love. Now, remember, everybody, the Bible is a revelation of the best information. It's a short list of the most important priorities and values that will help you to truly get what you deep down really want, which is not self-love. It's something else. The story starts with self-love, but that's not where it ends. The story starts with self-love, my flesh, my bones, but that's not the intended end to the story. So Genesis chapter 12, God says, go. One command Followed by, notice this, seven rewards, seven promises. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to make you great. So there's seven rewards, seven things that grab his attention. A seven to one ratio that's really, really, really important. God knows the person that he's dealing with. Self-love. It starts with self-love. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to do all these good things in your life. And he grabs Abraham's attention. 
Now, the story's going to end somewhere else, which is at the ending of this message today, but it starts completely in self-love, a seven-to-one ratio. You know, everybody, our self-conscious knows this. I want you to think about this. When you take a look at people who are lawyers, now, nobody would say they became a lawyer because of this, but they notice that across the alphabetical spectrum, right, a person by the name of Andy or Abigail or whatever your name begins with, right? All of those names, there should be just a smoothing out of people who choose to become a lawyer that their name begins with a certain letter. But they notice when somebody chose to be a lawyer that when you got to Larry and Laura, Laura that there was an uptick. There was an uptick in people who were lawyers and their name began with the letter L. And you notice the same thing with dentists. Danielle and David, there was an uptick subconsciously. We choose because of self-love. Now, we would never say, oh, it's because my name begins with a D that I decided to be a dentist. But there is an uptick with lawyers. There's an uptick with dentists. There's an uptick with roofers. All the same, a statistical anomaly. And how about marriage? Does that also prove true? Yes. Andy marries Abigail. And Catherine marries Kurt. You notice the uptick there. Self-love is a powerful thing. It begins there, but of course, it should not end there. It should not end there. Well, it starts with self-love, but it's not intended to end with self-love. There's a difference between biblical philosophy or wisdom and Greek philosophy or wisdom. Greek philosophy and wisdom tells us the way the world is, which is it's really important, super important. But biblical wisdom tells us something different. It tells us the way the world ought to be. And so maybe the world begins with self-love, but it should not end in self-love. And here's the story that the Bible is telling us over and over again. So in Genesis 12, it starts with self-love. It starts with Abraham, I'm going to bless, 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 bless you. One command, seven blessings. Now, we see that the first thing Abraham does after these blessings, he beelines it to the land of Israel, and he goes to the tree of Moreh. Now, the root word of Moreh is where we get the word Horah. He goes to this tree, which is the very center of Israel at Shechem, and at Bethel, he goes to these trees. A tree is a sacred place. A tree, my favorite, one of my favorite commentaries on the Bible is called Etz Hayim, which means tree of life. They believe that trees were sacred places. And he goes to this tree and he begins to learn and study. Just like the tree at the center of the Garden of Paradise, the Garden of Eden. And he begins to learn. He begins to grow. This is what he does. But then something happens, doesn't it? Okay, so here's where I really want to dig in and start talking about something that has helped me so much. Because what I said a few weeks ago on February the 6th, that we should slow the flow, that we have too much information and it throws our brains off track. And now here's the question I'd be asking. I'd say, John, that's a lot of information. I mean, it's a really big book. 
And you're telling me to meditate. Well, not me. The Bible's telling us to meditate on all this information. That's some tiny font in here too, by the way, right? So this is a huge amount of information. So slow the flow of information and yet pick up the flow of all this information. How do the two work together? Here is the key. The Bible is a revelation of the best information. So when you read all these stories, Genesis 1, here's a story in 2, and here's a story in 3, and now you got to Genesis 12 and a bunch more stories, it's actually telling you a recurring theme. There's a couple, a very short list of very important themes and values and priorities that the Bible just keeps telling over and over. So actually the Bible isn't a huge amount of information. It's the best information. And it's telling you the stories in a very nuanced way of that best information over and over and over again. And for here, self-love isn't true love. That's what it's telling us. It's saying that we should move to something so much better. And it's doing it in very nuanced, very creative, incredible deep wisdom ways, okay? And so I want to just show you a couple things and then through the life of Abraham and Sarah, right? So here we go. So so think about this. Adam and Eve, There, there's this tree. And in Hebrew, a tree or wood, sometimes shrubs, it's all one word, etz, E-T-Z, E-T-Z, etz. So there is an etz of life and there's an etz of death. So they become completely enamored with the tree, the ets of death, and they choose that. They eat the fruit, and immediately they're filled with shame. And then what happens next? Family conflict. How many sons do they have? Three sons. One of the sons, Cain, kills his brother, Abel. Family conflict. Okay, now Noah is the next major story. And what happens with Noah? He is saved by an ark of ets. Etz, tree, another tree, an etz, because wood, which the ark is made out of, so an etz of life, an ark of life, an etz of life, this tree of life, he goes into it, it saves him. Then he leaves that ark of etz, that etz of life, that tree of life, he leaves it, and when he leaves it behind and begins to do his own thing, because before he got into the Ets of life, the ark of life. He was just doing everything God told him. Then he leaves it behind and he says, I'll do my own thing. And God says, you know, you and the animals should be fruitful and multiply. And Noah, now he leaves that ets of life, starts doing his own thing. And what's the first thing he does? He sacrifices a bunch of animals. Now, I don't think that the animals can be fruitful and multiply if you're killing them. So he begins to do his own thing. And then what does he do? He says, he's a man of the soil. Well, who is a man of the soil? Adam was made of dirt, a man of the soil, dirt and divine breath, dual nature. And it says, and it says, Noah is a man of the soil, plants a vineyard and very tree-like, very ets-like. The vines grow and he eats from that fruit of the vine. And what happens? The same thing happens to him as happens to Adam and Eve. Shame. He eats of it. Shame follows. And then the same thing as what happens with Adam and Eve, family conflict, conflict amongst the sons. Adam and Eve have three sons. Noah has three sons. Conflict breaks out. Shame. And then all of a sudden things just go south in a really quick way. Now, what happens with Abraham? He goes to the tree. 
He goes the very center, just like Eden, the very center of Israel. He's at this tree. And then all of a sudden he decides, just like Noah decides, to leave the ark of life, the ets of life, to leave the tree and to do his own thing. And he goes down to Egypt and things get really bad. Self-love isn't true love. So Abraham says to Sarah, his very first words, just like Adam, Adam is enamored with Eve's beauty. My flesh, my bones, you're beautiful. Let's have sex, okay? And what does Abraham say to Sarah? He comments on her beauty, and then he says, in tremendous self-love fashion, he says, that things might go well with me. Why don't you submit yourself to being abused by Pharaoh? He gives his wife away, commits her to adultery because self-love isn't true love and shameful. A very, very shameful thing happens down in Egypt because he ignores the tree. Now, Sarah's not good with it, but Abraham is totally good with it. Adam and Eve suffer a curse, Noah suffers a curse, and now Abraham suffers a curse as a result of all this. It is a repeating theme that self-love isn't true love, and if you choose to stay at self-love, you are going to end in a really miserable place. So the Bible keeps telling us this theme over and over and over again, that you have to got to progress away from the self-love to actually get to the place of true love. Genesis 12, everybody, basically... What you have in the first 11 chapters is what always happens. We always choose self-love. And now Genesis 12, with the stories of Abraham and Sarah, is the undoing of self-love. The undoing, the reversal of self-love. Now, I want to I wanna say something here, a quote by Maria Robinson. It's really important. And this is what God would speak to you today from the Bible. Here's the message of the Bible, a revelation of the best information. Nobody can go back and start a new beginning, but anyone can start today and make a new ending. It's not about your beginning. We've all had a bad beginning at some degree or another. It all starts with self-love. Some of us have been hurt so badly. We're so ashamed by what's been done to us. We're so ashamed by what we have done. Okay, the start is bad, but it's the ending. We can start today and make a new ending. It's the undoing. What God has for you is the undoing of the curse of death. God wants to reverse that curse of death and give you a new ending. It's not the way that you began, but it's the way you end. So Super Bowl, just a few weeks ago, the Bengals started out great in the second half. Now, there was a dirty play, and you need to talk to Pastor Derek about that, boy, because there was that face mask, and that's how they got that touchdown there. So they started out really well, although a very dirty play, very much self-love-like, but the Rams ended the second quarter. Look, babies start out. We love babies, and they're so awesome. We love them so much. They're so cute, but they're all about the baby. The baby's all about the baby. The baby's really incredibly selfish. You can't stay a baby. Self-love isn't true love. Now, in Genesis chapter 20, we notice a big change. Now, Genesis chapter 20 is another story. Again, repeating theme. You're not going to believe it, but Abraham does it again. Check this out. Genesis chapter 20. Remember what he did in Egypt? And here he is with Abimelech. 
king of Gerar. Now, Abraham moved on from there to the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar. And there, Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, she is my sister, denies the marriage again. He already blew it in Egypt. He's blowing it again. She's my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and noticed the word, took her, took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you're as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. So Abraham's doing the same thing, self-love. But here we're going to get the undoing of self-love. We're going to get the reversal of the curse. Now, I want you to notice what Abimelech did, right? It says that he took at the end of verse number two. He took. That sounds a whole lot like what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Check it out. Genesis 3, 6. Same exact word. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Repeating theme. Check out what happens. We're going to get into this story more next week, but here, we'll just take a little shot at it. All right. Genesis chapter 16. Shameful thing. So what happens in Genesis 3 They take and she gives, Eve takes and gives to her husband, shame follows. Here, Genesis 16, Sarah, the new Eve, takes and gives to her husband, shame follows. Check it out. So Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years and Sarai, his wife, took, same exact word, her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave to her husband, to be his wife, self-love. I'm willing to sacrifice you, Hagar, in order for me to get what I want. Self-love, take and give. But the story changes with Abimelech. Now, I want to point a couple things out to you because in the story in Genesis 20, repeating theme, big book, but the best information with the repeating theme, who is the tree in Genesis 20? Sarah's the tree because God says, don't, Touch Sarah or you're going to die, Abimelech. God said to Adam and Eve, don't touch that tree of death or you will die. Who is Adam in the story? Abimelech is Adam. And then finally, who plays the role of the deceiver from Genesis chapter 3, the talking snake? Abraham does because he's trying to deceive Abimelech. Except for this time, everybody, it's undone. Self-love is undone. He takes, but notice there's no giving. There's a different kind of giving, actually, towards the end. This time, Abimelech, who is trying, you know, Abraham's trying to deceive him. But God steps in and says, don't touch. And Abimelech listens to God. And he actually rebukes Abraham. He rebukes the deceiver. This is what Adam should have done in the garden. Adam should have rebuked the deceiver and said, get out of my garden. But here we find that Abimelech finally does the right thing and says, I'm not going to be into self-love. I'm not going to take Sarah and just please myself with her and use and abuse her. No, he rebukes the deceiver. No, I won't give into self-love. So he rebukes and it has a very different ending. Notice Genesis 20, verse 16. So, So to Sarah, he said, this is Abimelech speaking, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. Why? 
This is to cover. Remember what God does? God covers Adam. God covers Eve so graciously. I'm doing this to cover the offense against you. You, Sarah. Well, back in that culture, women, wives, they don't matter. You use and abuse. You do whatever you want. That's the way it works. Remember a few weeks ago, Pharaoh has bands of men running around the city, just taking women, taking women, taking women. And Abraham says, so it would go well with me in Egypt. I'm willing to sacrifice you, wife Sarah. And here, here what we see is that Abimelech says an offense has been made against you. Now, maybe it might be the culture of the day to misuse and abuse other people unjustly, but not in God's world, not in this world. And so God says, no. There's an offense been made. So Abimelech says, this is to cover the offense that is made against you, not against Abraham, but against Sarah, his wife. Before all who are with you, you are completely vindicated. The vindication of Sarah. So Abimelech here chooses wisely. He doesn't choose dirt. He doesn't choose death. He chooses the divine breath. We have a dual nature. A lot of people say, hey, there's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in me. I'm a sinner. There's nothing good in me. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We do have a sin nature. We do have dirt in us. We do have dirt in us. But we have something good in us. We have the divine breath. I think that would classify as good. You can't say you're all bad and that there's nothing good in you. You have the divine breath in you. You have the image of God in you. And the Bible would classify that as good. Now, this is why the Bible keeps coming back to this repeating thing. There's the tree of life. There's the tree of death. Moses in the book of Deuteronomy says, I have set before you life and death. Choose life. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility to choose life, to choose the tree of life, to choose life as Moses says. Paul, uh, really at the end of Romans chapter 7, he does a great job. He says, I want to choose to do the right thing, and yet the wrong thing's right there, and I find myself continuously choosing and choosing and choosing that. We have a responsibility to choose life, to choose the divine image, to to choose divine breath, and to move away from choosing the dirt. That's self-love. Self-love is the dirt. Self-love, the New Testament often talks about this, is the flesh, or it is the world. So when you see that often, In the New Testament, flesh, world, that's what it's saying. Don't choose flesh. Don't choose the ways of the world. Don't choose dirt. Don't choose self-love. Choose something different because that's what you truly want. And that is the, that is what God is trying to undo in the world. But God loves you. God loves you. For God so loved the world. God loves you. And he wants to undo all those things that are causing you to get what you don't want. God wants to move you towards a new ending. And that's exactly what God gives to Abraham and Sarah, a brand new ending. And God wants to give you the same thing. Okay, so Abraham goes down with Sarah to Egypt. They leave in shame. 
But when he goes to Abimelech, same exact things, but a different ending. God wants you to have a new ending. That is what these stories, these stories are driving at a point that self-love isn't true love. There's a better love out there for you, for you to get what you want. And God wants to undo all the pains in the world and in our lives from self-love. These aren't random stories. They're stories about priorities, about working towards something. So when Adam and Eve choose self-love, it ends in shame it ends in violence, actually an outburst of violence. When, when, when Noah does this, it's the same thing. It's the same. There's this outburst of violence. Okay. What is going to happen with Abraham and Sarah? So they choose this down in Egypt, Exodus chapter 12. And then in Exodus 13, we see Abraham and Sarah, they make a beeline back to the tree. Ah, there's a change here. There's something different that's going on. And then in chapter 14, here comes the outburst of violence, just like with Adam and Eve, just like with Noah, but with a very different ending. So think about this. From the time of Adam and Eve, people have been heading away from God, going east, 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 east. The final stop was Babylon and the Tower of Babel. So now God calls Abraham and Sarah back west, 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 and then what happens in chapter 14 of their story? The king of Babylon comes from the east and is tracking down Abraham and Sarah. Isn't that so true? Those old skeletons, those old monsters, those old serpents in our closet, they're tracking us down, trying to get us to rob us from the life that we truly want. But what's going to happen this time? So we see and Abraham and Sarah are by that sacred tree and they're just soaking in the Torah, right? They're soaking in instruction from God and they're hanging out. And the king of Babylon comes in and there's an outburst of violence and he totally destroys, totally destroys those kings that were living in the valley down below because Abraham and Sarah are up in the mountain by the tree. But when he destroys the king's in the valley of Canaan, he takes captive a relative of Abraham and Sarah's lot. Now, Cain says, I'm not my brother's keeper. And Abraham says, I will be my brother's keeper. And he goes and he defeats the king of Babylon. He defeats that old servant. He defeats self-love. It's an undoing of that. That's what God has for you. He wants you to defeat self-love and to move beyond and experiencing something that you truly want. God has victory. God has a new ending for you. Everybody right? We start out with self-love. And just like the quote I read earlier, you can't go back and start a new beginning, but you can right now today begin starting a new ending to your story. Now look how Abraham ends. This is really important. Remember what I said in Genesis 12 when his story begins. You got one command and seven promises, seven rewards, because God knows who he's dealing with. He's dealing with somebody who has a lot of self-love, Abraham. And look what God says to Abraham in Genesis 22 at the end of his life. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go. There's the singular command, just like Genesis 12. Go, singular command, same wording, go to the region of Moriah. Okay, everybody. So you got Moray, Genesis 12, and then got Mamre, and now you have Moriah, 
they're all the same root word. And then the same word, go. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Please, don't get hung up on that, okay? All of it makes sense in its context, but I don't have a time right now because I want to focus on one thing. There are no rewards here. There's no self-love here. There's no, hey, I'm going to give you all this stuff. I'm going to bless you, make your name great. And all that. There's none of that. There's one command, zero blessings. Has Abraham grown from self-love to sacrificial love? Has he made that transition to truly be a great nation with a great name? Because he's got to make that transition to do that. Because self-love isn't true love, sacrificial love. That is true love. Look what it says about Jesus. Jesus speaking, John 15, he says, the greatest love that you can show is to give your life for your friends. Not Abraham having self-love. I will sacrifice you, Sarah, so I can get what I want. So things go well with me. No, 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 no. He's, he's acting more like Jesus there by the tree in the garden. When Jesus says, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Sacrificial love. So what are all these stories about? They're not random stories like, oh, here's more information flooding my brain, making me anxious. No, no. It's the best information. The Bible is the best information. It's a revelation of the best information, a short list of the priorities for our life. We have got to progress from being a baby who's all about the baby and self-love to a place of sacrificial love to get what we truly, truly, truly want. That's where we've got to go. My question to you today is, will you consider journeying with Jesus to the way things ought to be? To the way things ought to be. The Bible is the wisdom of God, and it's about the way that the world ought to be. It's not Greek philosophy about the way the world is but it's about the way the world ought to be. And if you will follow God in the undoing of self-love, you will find yourself at the place where God is wanting to take you. Will you join me on that journey to the way things ought to be? Let's pray, God. There's a lot of us now, and uh, you know, self-love is so deceptive. We have an unlimited capacity for self-deception. But Lord, these stories have shown us with this recurring theme how important it is to analyze our lives, to examine our lives, and come before you and say, Lord, will you take me on this journey to the undoing of self-love? Where can all of us this week allow you to take us by the hand and lead us to that promised land? In Christ's name, amen.